Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Uh, sorry we're a little late this time. Uh, you know, we've been hustling and bustling. Um, I've just moved to a new house and I've just finally got all of my computer junk set up. So I've, I'm here in the take bunker and, you know, podcast <laughs> production has commenced once once more and the, the takes shall flow. Um, they must flow. Absolutely. But yeah, anyway, we well, congrats, thought... Congrats, buddy, first of all. And, you know... Thanks. I just wanted to... But before we get to the episode, the audience can wait to, to celebrate a <laughs> life change for you. You've, you've moved to a different location. You know, it's very exciting. You've got a new place that you now own and you're going to, you know, uh, work on and such. So just wanted to say, it's a new studio that you're coming in to the audience from and everything. So uh, yeah, how does it feel? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a dump, uh, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> It's a funky house is so what it is. It's a little bit of a fixer-upper. It needs some TLC. It needs some TLC. Yeah. It, nice. it, it needed to not be remodeled by the previous guy who owned it and did not know what the hell he was doing. And everything is wrong and bad. But, you know, the bones of it are pretty good. And so we're just going to be making a lot of, you know, improvements uh, as we can afford them and whatnot. Um, but Well, we're you, here. sir, are very good at dealing with people who don't know what the hell they're doing. In fact, this podcast is much about talking about people who don't know what the hell they're doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Uh, without, without further ado, uh, this is another newsy one, right? We've got uh, some discourse to get into. Some, some, yeah, some discourse and maybe a little bit of theory we could touch on. But before we get to that, I want to first uh, just note, uh, rest in peace, Tony Bennett. The famous, yeah. uh, you know, kind of Las Vegas singer type guy who is also, you know, in a number of films and such over the years. Real, uh, I don't know, Mitch, icon right? of the 20th century for sure. Um, and I yeah. was reading a little Washington Post piece about how uh, when he was in World War II over in um, Europe, he at one point had met a, a black fella, you know, he was like 19 at the time and he was in a combat battalion and, and he just met a black friend of his who, you know, he had been in like a quartet with, but you know, in years previously. And they're like, Hey, how you doing? And sat down and they were going to have Thanksgiving dinner together only for this officer to come up because the military was segregated at the time and chewed him out and cut off his corporal stripes and stamped on them. Um, this wow. is how fucking racist everybody was back then, except not Tony Bennett. He decided that from that day forward, he was going to be a pacifist and an anti-racist. And he was one of the big time supporters of the civil rights movement and the kind of entertainment industry. Um, a real mensch. And then he later was in the Battle of the Bulge, uh, saw some hard fighting. You know, that was a that was a tough battle. Um, right. And decided he wanted wow. to be a pacifist after that. So um, rest in peace. Yeah. Great voice, too. Really just a rich, mellifluous. Yeah. <laughs> That's always a great word. That's the word. That is a great word. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can toss in a little uh, clip of, uh, of yeah. his, his beautiful voice. The loveliness of Paris seems somehow sadly gay. The glory that was Rome is of another day. Well, I was terribly alone 
and forgotten in Manhattan. I'm going home to my city by the bay. I left my heart in San Francisco. But yeah, and, and he passed uh, not too long after um, Harry Belafonte, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, another uh, icon. Another, another, but a lot of lot of lot of loss recently. But it's worth you know remembering them for for all they did is, and hopefully they can inspire um, future legends, right? Yeah, no, I don't know how old he was. I think he was in his nineties or late eighties. Bennett, I think like ninety four. Tony Bennett, I think. Yeah. There's a phrase in the Bible, I forget it exactly what it's like, you know, he, he died old and full of years. Uh, you know, it's, it's, oh, nice. it's yeah. always a tragedy to see someone, someone go, but you know, it's like, you, you really can't ask for more than that. Uh, having had such a great career and such a long right. life and such uh great success. Yeah. So, yeah. um, farewell, Mr. Bennett. Yeah. Farewell. Indeed. I, I love the idea that grief is a form of praise. You know, and and, yeah. and the uh, and this in some way could kind of explain grieving for somebody you didn't know personally, because of course there's plenty of praise that uh, explains personal losses and relationships um, that people have personally and family and friends and so forth. But um, I think there is real grief in the loss of an icon like that, because I think the work that he did in his life did touch people he didn't know personally in a way. Um, that uh, is worthy of their particular praise of him, right? And, and I think uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me to, to kind of feel uh, something for, for people like that when they pass, right? Not just yeah. kind of symbolically, but actually we feel it too in our hearts, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it's someone, it, I mean, I wouldn't say I was a huge Tony Bennett fan necessarily, but, you know, it's like a, he yeah. meant a little something to me, you know, and it's it's just a, a human connection, even if it's entirely one directional in this case. But, you know, um, that's and I'll, how I'll also remember his his duet with Amy Winehouse. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, uh, yeah. Shortly yeah. before she she passed. Um, uh, that that was a real tragic passing. Right. Like yeah. Much a life cut cut off way too um quickly um and she she boy she had a lot of soul she also, did you know and um i don't know how we transition from that to the banana discourse but we have to <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's just there's yeah. no easy way to transition from that to the bananas will our future um you know, t- music, musical singers uh you know and stage actors and whatnot be able to eat um i looked up the average per capita U.S. consumption of bananas is 26.87 pounds as of 2021, um, which actually doesn't seem like that much. I don't For, know. Per, per person per year? Is yeah. that what that mm-hmm. is? How and many bananas is that for an average banana? How, and, you know, you told me the weight, but I don't know. The, <laughs> Maybe like half I mean, a pound. If I, so we're talking... 50 bananas a year? We're talking a banana a week for the average person? Yeah, something roughly. like that. Yeah, that would be my guess at least. 
And, okay. you know, presumably okay. there's like a, a distribution, you know, you have some people who are having like 10 bananas a day and then some people. It might be like guns where, where like the same, the, the same 10 people own all the guns. It might be like that with bananas. Maybe some people just eat bananas all the time, you know? <laughs> Jeff Bezos is eating a banana <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So for those who don't know what the hell we're talking about, we should back <laughs> up a little bit. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is a very silly, you know, discourse, I think mainly on Twitter, but there's also an article written about it by Eric Levitz in New York magazine, you know, basically Malcolm Harris and a, and a number of, uh, folks, you know, Malcolm Harris is like a sort of, uh, historian. He wrote the book Palo Alto. Um, and there's another one about millennials. I forget what it's called. Uh, but yeah, he's also a, a good activist in Philly. He does really good work. Um, you know, uh, a fellow traveler, as it were, a communist and, and, um, you know, a good writer. Yeah. His, his book, uh, Palo Alto got great reviews, supposed to be pretty excellent. Um, but yeah, so he was making the case that basically there, there can't, and there won't be a sort of global distribution system of bananas. Um, he said, you know, Americans can no longer expect the world to produce and harvest 10 billion pounds of bananas per year for us alone. That is in 30 pounds of bananas per person. So it's not quite that much in reality. Um, you know, but it's sort of, yeah, so I specifically, guess, it was specifically about American current consumption standards in under communism, right? Under, under global socialism, uh, the expectation that, and I, again, sometimes a banana is not just a banana, but I, I think it wasn't just about the bananas, but the idea that like American consumption levels will not change, uh, is something that needs to be kind of, um, you know, let, let go of, uh, yeah. By yeah. Levels, right. Basically. It, and it's a, it was a weird, you know, we, we just had some great discourse, really just people yeah, popping rivets actually. in the brain. Um, but they <laughs> like, it was such a strange jumping off point for this particular point that he's, that I think that, you know, is a more, a charitable reading of what he was trying to get at. Um, that like, you know, Americans consume too much resources, basically like there's no possible way you could have a fair, you know, distribution of like, uh, you know, consumption and, and, and resources across the world. If Americans keep using so much, but w bananas are almost entirely unrelated to that. It's like a rounding error in terms of the global economy and in terms of like resource consumption. I, I did a little bit of digging on this cause I was, I was kind of curious. It's like, are, is, is the bananas like, uh, economy all about growing and then shipping to uh, the United States? And the answer is not really. There are apparently something like 153 million metric tons of bananas produced every year, mostly in India and China, though also uh, Central and South America. Ecuador is a major banana exporter, but only 21 million tons are exported. So the vast majority of bananas are grown for um, locally. Yeah, for local Basically. consumption, which which makes sense because they're cheap to grow. They don't require much, but in the way of like resources to to harvest, they're they're fairly easy, um, and it's a staple food uh, in a lot of countries. You know, for that very reason, they're fairly healthy um, and fairly you know uh, nutrient rich, and uh, they don't. Uh, 
you know, the, the, of course, it's like in any sort of global monocrop agriculture, like right. there's a lot of pesticides yeah. and fertilizer that are used. And that's really not great ecologically speaking. Harmful but, to workers. Yeah. yeah. To consumers. Yeah. But it it really, you know, it's a, if you're trying to make this point, I guess, you know, what I would say is like, it should be about meat and cheese and but like in terms the, of the food. The funny thing is, oh, the, uh, literally, I thought you were being metaphorical again with the meat, but like, yeah, actual <laughs> meat and that. Yeah. I, no, but it's a good jumping off point and we can, I mean, for me, it is interesting to think about, you know, the current state of supply chains and exports and sure. which products are locally consumed, but I don't really think that's what the discussion, because what happened was the, the kind of uh, side taking that immediately flowed and then, and that kind of insults and, and jabs and arguments well, obviously weren't about bananas, right? Obviously it wasn't about this kind of empirical question of the challenges involved and how harm, how much harm does it do to the ecology? Uh, what it's really about, I think is like, what does, um, one's vision of the future under socialism or post-capitalism look like? What does that entail? And how do you pitch that to people? And how does that relate to the needs of people suffering under capitalism now? And is, and so there's like a lot of things to unpack there, but you have legitimate differences that are substantial and, and interesting and tensions that Levitz points out in his piece. Um, but I think, you know, a banana is not just a banana. So we could kind of talk about it as like, uh, in cases like you say, like meat or cheese or whatever, in, in cases where there are these tensions that are real and um, and we can't just promise that everything will look exactly the same, uh, but just without all the bad exploitation, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, how should we think about these differences? Right. And how maybe how can we lay out what the, the people fighting with each other over bananas were actually trying to argue about? Right. That's the end of the preview, folks. As usual, we like to mention that this podcast is sponsored by the American Prospect magazine. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, uh, you could subscribe at $5 a month. If you want that plus a free subscription to the website, uh, plus the opportunity for a steeply discounted print subscription, you can do that if you so wish at $10 a month. And uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.